Good morning, my beloved Orangewood. How's everybody this morning? Good, good. I don't know if you were here in time to see the video. I hope you made it. Uh, I love watching that video. I've seen it twice now of Casa Hogar. Thank you again for those of you who gave shoes, those of you who uh, made that possible. But of all the video, one part of that just really struck me. I don't know if it struck you or if you saw it. It was Diane Langmo kissing that kid. Did you see that? Uh, it was just awesome. Diane sat right here in the early service. I said, is that a sponsored child of yours? She said, no. It's just a child that we've seen there quite a few times and has been there a long time. And uh, just to see the warmth of the love of Christ through her uh, was absolutely amazing. And so I'm so grateful for a God who not only loves us and, and comes and wants to be with us, but even for those of us who have been in a situation for a long time, he wants to draw near and kiss us on the cheek. Isn't that amazing about our God? Isn't he just a, a wonderful, loving God? Um, hey, this morning we're going to look back uh, to Acts, uh, as Jack has said. We're going to continue a journey that we started back in the fall. We went through Advent. And we're going to jump back in. But I got to tell you, today, it's, it's like every Sunday, but really today, I mean, the story that God has for us today is unbelievable. I mean, it's incredible. It's so rich, it's so beautiful, it's so life-giving, it's, it's so life-altering that all week I've had the privilege of wrestling with this story, and all week, uh, what, what my fear is, God, how do I tell this? This is so good, it's so rich, it's, it's so challenging. And so every week as I prepare, my knees rattle, and I'm like, Lord, would you just come do that which you can do? Would you come and shine would you kiss this story? Would you kiss us? Would you shine in a way that you're the storyteller, not me? So that's where I am this morning. Can we start with prayer? Let's just bow our heads together. Let's ask the ultimate storyteller to come and be with us. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for the amazing way you love us. And the God, you love sinners like us so much that you'd send your most precious gift, your son, to come and to kiss us on the cheek come and be with us and love us. And, and God, you could have come really angry because we're messed up and we're broken and you're a holy God. You could have come with a big stick. But instead, you came with a beautiful Savior. You came with just what we needed to have life and life abundantly, just what we needed to have a relationship with you. And so thank you for loving us. Thanks for, thanks for kissing us. And God, we ask that your spirit would come and be with us in a way that, again, you'd, you'd kiss us on the cheek. And that, God, you'd give us eyes to see Jesus. And that we, by faith, can embrace him. That, as the psalmist says in Psalm 2, that we could kiss the sun. And as we do, we could find life. Father, some of us feel too dirty to be kissed or to kiss a holy God. Come with us in your, with your spirit so powerfully that we'd all realize we just can come just like we are. Come be with us and speak. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning as we st pick up this study in the book of Acts, uh, a study that we've called Empowered to Tell. And this amazing little book is the history book of the New Testament. It's the story of how we, the church, came to be where we are right now. It really is this, when you look at the, the, the word Acts, you may want to ask, well, 
well, whose acts is this telling? And what is this story really about? And the book of Acts is this. The book of Acts is the story of the resurrected Jesus. Uh, the part of the story, he's come and he's lived this beautiful life, this perfect life for us. He's died in atoning death. He's conquered God's and our enemies, and the grave's been defeated. And now the story of Acts is how this resurrected Savior, this resurrected Jesus, empowers God's people. He empowers us to tell his story. He starts with his disciples. He empowers them. And he says, I want you to tell my story. Be my witness. I want you to start right here in Jerusalem. It's the epicenter. Then Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And God is, God is going to empower these fishermen, these, these ragtag bunch of sinners like us, and to change the world. And how does God do it? Well, God empowers them through the giving of the Holy Spirit. They've had the good news of the gospel, and these frady cats now are going to become world changers. And the way he does it, it says in Acts 1.8, is that they will receive power, and the power will be this Holy Spirit, and that we will be his storytellers. We will be, and the, and the word there is the word that says witness. We often translate it this way. You will be my witnesses. Do you know what the Greek word witness really is? It's where we get our English word, martyr. It's amazing. It says, God says, you're going to receive power, and you're going to tell not your story, but my story, when this Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be in life and in death, you will be my witnesses, you will be you'll be my martyrs. You'll be giving your life to tell my story. Well, that's what we're supposed to do. It's what gospel calls us to do. And, and today we find the first one who does give his life. Today we come to the part of the story. We, we pick up right where we left off. And for those of you who remember these things, uh, we left off with the, uh, uh, the giving of deacons. And one of those deacons was a man named Stephen, a man full of faith, a man full of many great, wonderful qualities, and now we see this Stephen, he will be the first one to be the martyr. What's called like a proto-martyr uh, for us. The one who gives his very life to tell Jesus' story. My family and I, just in the last couple of weeks, we went to a movie that all of us enjoyed. And not once during the entire movie was this father embarrassed at what was said or shown on screen. It was amazing. Can that happen anymore? It really can. And it's, it's a story, it's, a, it's kind of a dialogue story. It's a little bit of a long story. Um, and as I was watching, I'm like, I wonder if my kids like this. I wonder if this is, a, I'm loving this story. This is incredible. And at the end of the movie, I said, how'd you guys think it? Like, like it. What'd you think? They're like, we loved it. The whole family absolutely loved this story. And it was Saving Mr. Banks. All right. How many of you have already seen Saving Mr. Banks? Great movie. Is it not a great movie? All right, for those of you who didn't raise your hand, you're thinking, oh, crud. I might want to see this. Quit it, Jakes. Don't ruin it for me. Uh, I will try not to ruin the story. I promise you. I will give you no more than a, a little plot summary that you could read today. It's worth seeing no matter what, but it's amazing how God's story parallels this story. Let me tell you a little bit about this. Saving Mr. Banks is really the Mary Poppins story. It's the story behind the story. It's, it's basically the telling of how Mary Poppins came to be. It's a woman by the name of P.L. Travers, or a woman who likes to go by Mrs. Travers, thank you, uh, the author who has inspired Mary Poppins. But it's more than just her story. 
that she tells. It's Walt Disney's story. You see, Walt Disney's daughters read Mary Poppins, love Mary Poppins, and Walt Disney makes a promise to his daughters. And he says, what good dad doesn't keep his promise to his daughters? And the promise that he made to his daughters was this, that he would make Mary Poppins come alive, that he would tell the story in cinema of Mary Poppins. So for 20 years, Walt Disney pursues this P.L. Travers to tell the story, to allow Mary Poppins to come alive. Well, here's where the movie struggle begins. And it's basically this. It's the struggle to tell the story. Who owns the story? Who has the rights to the story? I mean, who has the ability to interpret the story? And who has the ability to tell the story properly? And then we realize is that as the movie unfolds so beautifully, so well done, is that there's really a story behind the story. That the reason P.L. Travers is so passionate about the story, it's, it's her story. And you realize, wow, that's awesome. Now you know. Today we're going to find literally a life and death struggle over the right to tell God's story. That's what's going on today. You know, you may read this story, but what is really happening is there is a life and death struggle that is going on that basically asks the questions like these. Well, who really owns God's story? Who's, who's the proper one to interpret God's story? Who are the ones who properly can tell God's story? And what is the story behind the story? Now, here's the thing I promise you. If you'll allow the Holy Spirit to speak, and if you'll lean into this story, it's an amazing story, the story of Stephen. It includes the longest sermon recorded in the book of Acts, although we're not going to read the sermon. We're just going to read what happened before this sermon, the story, and what happens afterwards. But I promise you this. If you will allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart, your story will come into focus as well. Because this isn't just Stephen's story. This is God's story. And unlike P.L. Travers and unlike Mary Poppins, which was a pretty entertaining story, God's word is not a story to entertain us. God has given us living and active words for this story to intersect our very lives. I'll even say to allow God's story to really be our story. So let's look to the book of Acts. We're going to pick right up where we left off. Acts chapter 6, verse 8. I will read God's holy word, 8 through 15. And then introduce a little bit of the sermon. Then we'll skip to the end of chapter 7, verses 51 through 60. But let's be mindful. Although Luke wrote this many, many years ago for the early church, because he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, he wrote this for you. Scripture is written for us here and now. Hear this amazing uh, story of God. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Let's hit pause and let's let our eyes go up to verse 3 in chapter 6. When Stephen was becoming a deacon, it says this about Jesus or about Stephen, that he was a man of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom. So I want you to hear as you hear the description of Peter or of Stephen, all the things 
which he was filled with. And verse 8 again, full of grace and power, doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the free man, as it was called, and of the Syrians and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. And they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council, the Sanhedrin. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place, the temple, and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place, again the temple, and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw his face was like the face of an angel. What is that like? What do you think that looks like? I don't know what a face of an angel looks like. I mean, Hallmark might tell us what it looks like. But what do you think that looked like? What was shining inside so brightly? Pete, uh, uh, Stephen takes these accusations that he has. And in chapter 7, you'll see him defend these uh, false accusations with an amazing sermon. And we're going to pick up at the end of the sermon in verse 51. But let me encourage you. Let me really encourage you. Find time today, today's Lord's Day. Go back and read this sermon. Read it, take your notes with this sermon with you, and just see the amazing way Stephen tells this story. But in verse 51, Stephen is speaking now to the Sanhedrin, these religious leaders that he just preached to. And he says this, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, Jesus, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they groaned their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see heaven opened. And the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Hmm. And as they were stoning Stephen... He called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, please come in a way that you give us ears to hear Jesus' voice. Minds to understand your word. Hearts to embrace your truth and feet to walk in a manner worthy of your name. 
the things that are said that are wrong or merely my opinion, may those things fall away and be forgotten quickly. But the things that are said that contain the good news of the gospel, empower those things to make us more like your Son, our Savior Jesus. May He and He alone receive glory. And may we receive challenge and joy. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. As we look at this, we see that Stephen was empowered to tell the story, and so are we. And, and the Holy Word of God has given us these wonderful components or these wonderful ingredients of Stephen's life that gave him the ability to be a storyteller for God. We're going to examine these attributes, and let me encourage you, as you hear these things about Stephen, ask if they're true of your life. Ask if they're true in your life, and maybe there's areas that God will speak to you. But again, realize that that God is empowering Stephen to be this storyteller of his. And therefore, God takes those like you and me, jars of clay, those who are weak, those who are broken, those who are prone to wander, and he chooses to use us. And the only way he can is he's got to fill us with his gospel, fill us with his truth, fill us with his spirit. And Acts 6 and 7 tells us that Stephen is filled with many of these things that gives him the power and the credentials to tell the story of Christ Jesus. If you want to follow along your bulletin, you'll see these outlined for you. The first thing is this. He's empowered with faith to believe and wisdom to know. Stephen, by God's grace, was empowered with faith to believe. And faith to believe what? Faith to believe this, that Jesus is who he claimed to be. That Jesus is truly God in the flesh. That Jesus truly is God's only begotten son. That Jesus is the promised Messiah. By God's grace, God had given Stephen faith. Faith to believe and embrace Christ Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And that empowered him not only to have faith, but wisdom to know. Wisdom to know what? This is so important. He was empowered with wisdom to know that all of Scripture points to Jesus. That all of Scripture finds its fulfillment in Jesus. That all the substance, that everything that was talked about, all is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. It's basically, he had the wisdom to know that this is the story of the Bible, the story of Jesus, that Jesus is the author of the Bible, that Jesus is the hero of the Bible, that all things point to him and find their fulfillment in him. Well, Stephen was falsely accused. Did you get that? He was falsely accused for messing with the unmessable things in the Jewish tradition. And they had to hire men because they couldn't defeat him. They had a, when you can't defeat somebody, you got to throw mud at them or they wind up throwing stones at them. But they accused, they accused Stephen of messing with that which should never be messed with. And they said this about Stephen. They said, listen, he messes with God. He messes with God. And, and the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob is our God. And you don't mess with God. It's blasphemous. But it's more than that. He's messing with Moses. And you don't mess with Moses because Moses is God's prophet that speaks to God face to face and who gave us the law and who led us out of slavery into the promised land. You don't mess with Moses and you don't mess with the law. The law was a gift given to us and it separates us from the other nations. You don't mess with the law of God and you certainly don't mess with the temple of God. The temple of God is a place that God uniquely has placed his name. 
The temple of God is the place where God and man come together, where sacrifice is made for God's sins. You don't ever mess with any of those things. And so those things, listen, those, those were such fighting words that, that messing with those things to the religious leaders, that that was cause of death. As a matter of fact, Scripture even says, if you mess with those things, you stone those who do. But we got to realize that Stephen was the one who had the wisdom to know that all those things, listen to this, lean into this. Stephen was the one to know that all those things promised in the Old Testament were nothing more than shadows and signs that point to Jesus. It's incredible. When it says you don't mess with God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it's Jesus who says, before Abraham was, I am. I am that God. I am the eternal God, and I am your refuge. I am God in the flesh. And and Stephen wasn't messing with God. He only, by God's grace, has the wisdom to know that God is revealed to us through the face of Jesus. Not only did he know he wasn't messing with God, well, how about Moses? I mean, Moses, amazing, uh, led God's people out of slavery into the promised land. Amazing relationship with God. But Moses said, there's going to be one who comes after me in my likeness. And let me tell you, Jesus blows him away. Because not only did he come, he had to speak face to face with God. He is God. And not only did he lead God's people, he didn't leave them out of Egypt. Listen, Jesus leads us out of the slavery of sin and death into the promised land with the Father. He's not messing with Moses. Moses is pointed to a greater one named Jesus. And he's not messing with the law. What about Jesus himself in, in Matthew five seventeen? Jesus says, I, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. I came to do all the requirements. Everything that a holy God requires of man made in his image, Jesus says, I've come to fulfill. And the curse that we deserve for breaking it, I've come to assume. And the blessings. So the law, he's not messing with the law, just pointing to Jesus. And then the temple. The temple, the place where God and man dwell together in harmony. Jesus is the true temple. He's the true place where God and man are to dwell together. He's the true place of sacrifice. Basically, Stephen is saying, by God's grace, I have the wisdom to know what you don't know. That this all points to Jesus. The story is all about him. And you guys have missed it. Not only empowered with the wisdom to know the story and the faith to believe, he's also empowered empowered with the ability to confront and the grace to forgive. The power to confront sinners who happen to be the religious leaders, the synagogue leaders and the Sanhedrin. I mean, it's incredible what he basically says. He basically says this to them. You guys were supposed to be the storytellers. You're the one that God has given this great law and story to. And guess what you did? You killed the storytellers, the prophets. You killed the prophets that were announcing the Savior to come. You've killed them. And then when the Savior does come, you murdered him. You botched the story. You were entrusted with it, but you're telling the wrong story. He confronts them for missing the whole point. He basically says, do you guys know you killed the hero of the story? It's Jesus. You got this story wrong, and you no longer have the authority to tell it. Did you know? You know how gutsy that is? He's telling the religious leaders, you don't have any more authority. 
to tell God's story. You're wrong. The power to confront them. I got a World Magazine delivered to me that was a recap of 2013. And I'm telling you, it took each month and each thing that happened each day through the month. I mean, I was horrified as a Christian of the things that we've approved as a nation and the laws that have come into place and all the things that have taken us further and further away from Christ and his kingdom. And I got, you know, that I'm a wimp. And I'm just praying, saying, God, where do I, where do I stand? Because I want to have the power to confront where I need to. Because you've called me to be salt and light. You've called me to make a difference. And you've called me to some uncomfortable places. And I have a propensity to compromise. Because I want to be light. And again, my hope isn't in this country getting a moral revival. My hope is in the blood of Christ and his righteousness and nothing else. But my hope is that the kingdom of God will come more clearly in 2014. And that comes through us confronting sinners. But we do more. Look what Stephen did. He not only had the power to confront even those who had the power to take his life. He had the grace to forgive. The grace to forgive. Forgive those who were about to kill him. Stephen was tough on sin, but gracious to sinners. Luke, Luke paints Stephen very vividly to look like a few of our heroes of the Bible. He paints him very vividly to look like Moses. He, like Moses, his face radiates and shines. And he, more importantly, like Jesus, amazing, like Jesus, would say, into your spirit, Jesus. Like Jesus said to his father, I commit my spirit. And, and he would also say, Jesus, forgive them. Forgive them just like Jesus did. You see, he had grace. He had the grace of God all over his life that gave him the power to forgive. And lastly, he had the power with the Holy Spirit to see and to stand. To see what? To see what? To see what Jesus is doing in heaven. Heaven opened up for him. And he was able to see with his own eyes what Scripture tells us that we should see. That Jesus is in heaven and he lives to intercede for us. The Puritan prayers that I read uh, on a daily basis say this, and this is a bit paraphrased in my language, but I love this. That Jesus, if he is your Lord and Savior, Jesus lives to represent you in heaven right now. Right now, Jesus lives to represent you to the Holy Father while you and I live to represent him here on earth. And he sees that reality. He sees the reality that, that as Jesus is interceding for him, he is to tell the story for Jesus here. I love this. What, is, what, what does Stephen see? <laughs> this is so beautiful. Stephen, who has been condemned by the earthly court, Stephen, who's being stoned by the earthly court, sees the heavenly court. And the heavenly court is not only not condemning him, but it's standing to receive him and bless him and accept him. If you read through scripture, you're going to find that oftentimes, most times, Jesus is described in a certain place next to the Father. At the right hand, the sign of power, seated, sitting, seated at the right hand. Why is that important? You see, Jesus sitting at the hand, right hand of the Father is basically telling us and proclaiming to the world and all the powers that his sacrifice was sufficient, that his reign is secure. Jesus sitting, he's not in a lazy boy because he's tired, is basically saying that my life, death, and, and resurrection were sufficient for you. And I'm seated here by the Father. But here you have him standing. And since the early church father, Tertullian, the thought is, 
Jesus stands to say to, Steve, to say to Stephen, well done, well done. And a standing ovation that Stephen will receive from Jesus. You see, the amazing thing about Stephen's life is this, is he realizes where he stands. This is a beautiful picture. Where Stephen is standing is the place where heaven and earth meet. He sees heaven. He's there on earth. And that's the temple of God right now. And here's the, here's the point. If you're a follower of Christ, you are the temple of God. And it's a place where we see Jesus interceding for us. And we represent him filled with his spirit. That's the true temple. But the thing about Stephen that we can't miss is that he's willing to live in faith in God's story. Stephen was living God's story. That was his story. James 1.12 says this. Now, okay, hold on. This is where it gets really cool. James 1.12 says this. Blessed is a man who remains steadfast under trial. Is that Stephen? For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Watch this. God says for those who stand in the midst of resistance like Stephen, that they'll receive a crown, a crown of life. And guess what the Greek word's crown is? Stephanos. Stephen. Amazing. He received a Stephen. He received a crown. And then we look a little bit closer at the story. We realize who was one holding on to the clothes as they were killing him. It was Saul. And who is Saul? He's going to become Paul. And at this time, Saul was saying, let's kill him and kill him. He deserves it. And Saul was so against God. He's like, let me go get more. And let's round up more of these Stephens who love this Jesus. And then one day, Saul, face to face with the resurrected Savior. And what does Jesus say to him? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me. You know that when you're persecuted for Christ, Jesus takes it personally. Do you know what he says? Why are you persecuting me? Who are you? I'm Christ Jesus. And forever his life has changed. His story has changed. And he becomes one of the most incredible storytellers. More about him in the fall. But it's, it, it's Paul who, who will tell the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 26. He says, I want to live my life so disciplined like an athlete in training. Is I want to compete so that I will get a Stephanos. So I will get a wreath, a crown that will not perish. And then we have a reuniting of Stephen and Paul at the end of his life. Listen to these words out of 2 Timothy 4, 7. Paul writes, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Stephen's waiting. There's a crown which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also those who have loved my appearing. I had a, uh, I had a friend this week text me and said, can you give me some time? And I knew it wasn't going to be an easy meeting because I know what the direction of his life. It's been awful. And it kind of, in, in the midst of a, a conversation, he says, within a year, I've, I've lost basically my marriage and I've lost my kids and I've lost my job. I've just lost my way. I mean, and it really it was, it was awful stuff, just terrible stuff. And he talked about, he says, you know, my dreams, my story, it's just been ruined. 
My story, the things I thought about that would come in life and the things that I thought were... My story has just been shattered. How many of you feel like your story's been shattered? How many can relate to that? Maybe a loss of a spouse. Maybe a loss of a child. How many of you just have shattered stories? I said to him, it's real and it hurts and your story is shadowed, shattered. But Jesus' story isn't. And the reality is, is that you and I have the privilege of this. Who owns our story? Are we living our story? Is, is this life for our story and for our glory? Who owns our story? And who has, the, who has the power and the authority to interpret our story? Because if it's us, and if it's us compared to our dreams, when our dreams are shattered, we think our story stinks. And maybe even our life's not worth living anymore. But who owns our story? I mean, you see, P.L. Travers fought so hard for the Mary Poppins story because you find out it's her story. And she wanted to redeem the characters of the story, and she just couldn't. But Jesus can. Let me tell you, this is, this is the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's, it's, he doesn't call you to live your story with Jesus so your story is a little bit better or a little bit cleaner or, or a little bit more pristine or, or a little bit more healthy or a little bit more comfortable. When, when God sends his son to come rescue us, it's not to make our stories better. It's to lay our stories down and to say that he's calling us to such a greater story. He's calling us to his story. He's calling us to give our lives like Stephen did. For a crown that won't fade. To be his witnesses. To be his martyrs. To live our lives. And to listen, this is so hard to do. And we can't do it when we're not empowered by the Holy Spirit. I mean, Stephen's, he's going off the grid if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit. He's, he, the only way he's empowered is by God's grace. It's so true with us. Don't, don't look at him like superhero. Oh, crud, I can never do it. You see, Stephen's surrender to God's story is the start. That's where you and I got to go. His story matters, not ours. But it's his story through us. See, all those shattered and broken dreams, they just bring hell into our lives. Jesus wants to redeem. Whose story are you telling? Who owns your story? Who has the ability to interpret your story? Let me offer to you, by God's grace, that Jesus wants you, wants you to be a part of his story. It costs you his son's life so that you and I could be a story that at the end of it, we receive a Stephanos, a crown, a crown of life, a story that God will never leave us nor forsake us, a story that he is the hero and he is the triumphant king, a story that one day all the things sad will come untrue. He offers us his story. Embrace it. Love it. Live it. Let us pray. Father, thank you for Stephen who you empowered to say that Jesus, your story is the one that matters. And I thank you, God, in some crazy way I, I, I can't believe I'm about to say this, but it's true. I, I thank you that you let him die. 
You didn't rescue him. I mean, you did, but you didn't. He, he stood up for you. He, he was so bold for you. And he was filled with all these great things. You'd think you'd want to keep him around a little longer. And yet, your story in him is a living story. And he became that first martyr and continues to live to tell the story. Father, the truth of this congregation is the truth of my life. We have so many broken stories, so many broken hearts. And the truth is that there's our stories are shattered around us. And Jesus, you lovingly give us your story to be a part of. Father, I pray for each one of us that you would give us the grace to stand and to see Jesus for who he is and for what he's done. And that God, this church, this church would would have the absolute audacity, the audacity to live for Jesus. The greatest story. Not to entertain us, but to give us life and life abundantly. Father, as we give our lives to you, receive this tithes and offerings for your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.